2: streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen Furst. Well, welcome to another episode of Kidney Talk. We have an incredible family here, the Hostert family, who has... um, lived and breathed organ donation their whole life. And Kathleen Hostert and Craig and their son, they're just big advocates, but they have a personal connection. So welcome to the show, the Hostert family.
3: Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you,
2: Lori. Thank you, Lori. Well, um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey and when you first learned that kidney disease was part of your life. Well, Craig and I got married in
0: 1984. Uh, We had only been married for about six months, and Craig started having some problems. And long story short, we found out, unfortunately, that he had kidney failure and was given a 50-50 chance of having complete kidney failure in the next nine to 10 years in in which he'd be facing dialysis and needing a
2: transplant. And did you know anything about kidney disease prior to that?
1: We knew absolutely nothing.
2: (laughs) <laughs> oh, wow. That seems to be the case of most of the population,
1: huh? Yeah, and it was quite a shock, you know, to learn that something can go wrong with your body. Because all of us think we're going to be, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you think you're going to be healthy for the rest of your life. You, you don't even, it's incomprehensible that anything can go wrong. So it was, it was pretty traumatic, especially when I was told, um, I remember very well, uh, when my uh, creatinine had gone up considerably, you know, I was having headaches for weeks and weeks. And finally, went to my general practitioner, and, you know, he knew about my situation, my diagnosis, and he said, Craig, I think we need to do your lab work and see where you're at. And, uh, my creatinine had, uh, was at six, and, uh, he called Kathleen, and she didn't want to come in and tell me because we knew what that meant. Um. now, if I remember correctly, that was in, that was in September, and, uh, got me into a nephrology group, and, uh, they wanted me to start dialysis in December of 1995, and I didn't want to before the holidays. And, but that was pretty much a shock because we didn't know anything about kidney disease, and it was just uh, you know, scary.
2: Now, uh, Kathleen, I know you donated a kidney to Craig. So tell us about how that took place because 1995, I mean, that was in the earlier stages of spouses donating kidneys, wasn't it? Exactly. It was. And that was, I think, before a lot of Google searches. So there really wasn't a
0: lot of places to find um, information. But Craig's brother actually was an identical sick match. And we were on such a high from that thinking, oh, my gosh, this is finally going to be over. Because when Craig started dialysis, our son, Justin, was only seven and I was only six months pregnant with our daughter, Nicole. So we were facing a, a lot of things going on and trying to figure out where our life is going Um, So when we found out about Craig's brother, we were just on cloud nine, but only to find out he had uh, borderline high blood pressure and was ruled out as a donor. So we actually were meeting with Dr. Danovich from UCLA, and he looked at me and he said, well, you can be a donor, which I had no idea. I knew nothing about, um, you know, non-related spouse um, possibilities if that was an even option. So. I went ahead and got tested and found out that I was a match. I actually didn't tell Craig for a while. You like to keep a lot of things from Craig. Well, apparently. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. I just, we had come <laughs> off such a high from his brother, so I didn't <laughs> even know if I was a match. So I thought, you know what, I'll just start and see if it's even a possibility before I tell Craig.
2: So, Craig, when did you learn that you were going to get your wife's kidney? And what were your feelings about that?
0: Well,
1: you know, I started dialysis in, in January, and I'd been on dialysis for about, two years at that point in time, um, it was a tough decision to make when she came to me and said, you know, once my brother Chris was ruled out, it was pretty, you know, it's pretty hard to take. But at the same time, you know, we told uh, the transplant team at that time when, when, they, were, when they were very um, waffling whether or not he could be a donor, we just had a meeting and said, can he be a donor or not? We need to move on if he can't be. You know, I need to have this uncertainty out of my life to a certain extent, and it was tough, but at the same time, it was a relief that that he couldn't be a donor. Let's kind of move on and and see what what comes next, Uh, and that's when Kathleen said, oh, by the way, you know, I've been tested, and guess what? I'm a match. Wow. Uh, I'm going to give you a kidney, and my first response was, no, you're not. We're not even going to consider doing that, you know, and, and here's what happened, Lori, how I finally made the decision to accept such an incredible gift was, I was on dialysis one morning, and, you know, I just cannot remember the tech's name, but it was a woman, you know, and she was a a traveling technician, so she would work at a center for, for, you know, for a while and then move on to a different center, and she liked doing that because she was from England, and so she was kind of traveling the United States, and it was kind of neat, Mm -hmm. Uh, but she had been there a while, and um, so I got to know her. She got to know me very well, so... One morning, she's hooking me up, and, and I told her, I kind of said in a nonchalant way, you know, guess what, Kathleen, because they all knew Kathleen, because she'd come down and sit with me. I said, uh, yeah, Kathleen wants to go ahead and give me a kidney, and I go, that's not going to happen. And she stopped. She sat back in her chair, and she said to me, why wouldn't you take her kidney? And I said, I just don't want to subject my wife to anything like that. And she says, Craig, you know it's perfectly safe. You've done all the research. You know it's okay to do that, and it's the best thing for your family. That's what did it for me. When I realized, you know, this is the best thing for all of us, not just me. It allows me to become, you know, because we all know, Laura. you know how dialysis is, and it just wears you down. In doing this, I thought, you know, it is the best thing. You know, give me back to Kathleen, and I can be the man and the husband that I want to be, should be, and then I can be the father to my kids. Because Justin just didn't understand a lot of times why I would sleep all day on Sundays. You no, know, because you're just tired and and um yeah.
2: Well Kathleen, so um tell us a little bit about the family dynamics. So you have two children at home when this happened?
0: Yeah, our, at the time of the surgery, Nicole was two and a half and Justin was nine. Um we sat down with Justin at the dinner table, um, probably about a month before everything was finalized and we said, you know, Justin mommy's gonna get tested to give dad a kidney. And at that time, uh, he ran off from the dinner table, was crying, he was mad at us, and Craig and I just kind of looked at each other like, uh-oh, you know, and we just kind of dropped it from there. And about two weeks later, Justin, we were sitting at the dinner table again, and Justin said, Mom, Dad, I've made a decision. And we just kind of laughed. I said, Justin, you're nine. What are you moving out? Are you getting a tattoo? And he looked at me <laughs> and he said, if you want to give Dad your kidney, I'm okay with it. And I said, okay. And I said, you know, we, what was wrong and why did you get so upset? And he started crying and he said, I'm just upset because I wanted to give dad my kidney.
2: Oh, so wow. that really,
0: you know, touched us deeply. And, um, but the, you know, trying to coordinate everything, our, our whole family pitched in because we really needed support because we had a two and a half year old baby and Justin was only nine. So. There was a lot of coordination on our family part, but everybody pitched in and helped.
2: And back in the mid-90s, the surgery for the living donor wasn't as perfected as it is today. So I'm sure the recovery was a little bit longer. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) You have to do everything the hard way, Kathleen. That's correct. (laughs) Um, So you got Kathleen's kidney. What was the recovery like for you, Craig and Kathleen? And The
1: recovery was fine. You know, what we had done is... You know, I just wanted to give my body the best opportunity to accept this organ and not have any complications. And so, Catherine and I had arranged for the kids to be gone. We did it in June, uh, so the kids were, you know, they were out of school, you know, 'cause you look at your kids, with little germ bugs, you're, you know, running around. And uh, so, we had the kids. You know, I have three brothers and a sister, so we had the kids rotating th- to them. And they were in Seattle, they were down in San Clemente, at the beach, Disneyland fact we found out Justin was riding on a motorcycle, all kinds of things they, they had done with their uncles and their aunt to keep them busy. So the recovery was pretty non exciting at all. It was pretty go home and get better and that's pretty much what we did. But how I felt is what was incredible and how good I felt. It was food had tasted I, you know, I hadn't eaten I had lost a lot of weight over the course of the two and a half years being on dialysis. And Kathleen had a friend uh, who's a gourmet chef, and she moved in because we were both, you know, Kathleen had, you know, her surgery was pretty invasive at that time. So we were pretty much both laid up. Um, so Katie moved in with us, and I, I remember her cooking this chicken and rice meal. Oh my gosh, it tastes so good. I couldn't eat enough of it. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't drinking milk in two years, and I loved milk, you know, so I just, it was just, uh, it was an amazing recovery.
2: It's amazing how great food tastes once a kidney is working properly. I mean, that's one of the things I remember. It's like, I don't remember things tasting this, you know, pungent before.
1: That is so true. And then the combination of being on prednisone and the immunosuppression, oh, yeah, it's, big, it's yes. a big uh, win-win, right?
2: It's, it makes you, you do definitely have an appetite. And what about you, Kathleen? Um, how are, you know, you're basically trying to manage all this and your family and, um, you know, you come out of surgery did the kidney work immediately, and were you just a sense of relief, like, oh, my goodness, I can put this chapter behind me?
0: It, it did. It, uh, I know Dr. Rizek told us that it's pinked up. As soon as they put it in, Craig, it started peeing right away. And my mom tells me – my mom was in the room with me um, while we were waiting for Craig to come out, and she said that I just kept stirring around in my bed. I was super restless. I couldn't – you know, I was just really frustrated and moving around. And as soon as they came in and said that Craig was okay and everything took – My mom said my my
2: whole body just went limp and I passed out. (laughs) (laughs) Probably in high alert. Yes, exactly. So we all know that, unfortunately, kidneys don't always last. Um, It's a treatment. It's not a cure. So, Craig, can you talk a little bit about when you knew that this transplant was starting to putter out? Because I never like to use the word rejecting. They just basically putter out.
1: Well, I love that. And, you know, and that's what it did, Lori. I did not reject Kathleen's kidney. In fact, um, what had happened was is, you know, years ago my ankles started swelling. But that was a combination of some of the blood pressure med- medication I was on, the different combinations. But uh, my creatinine had always maintained, you know, it had crept up over the years. And I got to about one8 and at that point in time, I, my nephrologist says, okay, Craig, if it continues to go up, we need to see what's going on. And I really didn't want to do a biopsy. I just didn't want to, because you know when you do that, you know something's going on. I just didn't want to get to that point. But well, I jumped up to about 2.2 within, within like five days. He says, okay, we got no choice. Did the biopsy. You know, my creatinine actually came down a little bit from, from the 2.2 it was at. It came back down to 1.8, 1.9 range. They did the biopsy, and it came back that uh, the the tissue was remarkable. The pathologist uh, did not believe it was a 14-year-old kidney at the time. She said there was hardly any scarring to the tissue, but what she did say was that the disease that I have, which is IgA nephrosophy, was back in the transplanted kidney. They knew this was going to happen. They just didn't know when, and they don't know why it happened. Um, So I go into my doctor's appointment, and uh, took over the results of the pathology report, and he said, Craig, this can take months, this can take years for anything like this to happen, uh, for for the kidney to actually fail. And I said, okay, that's kind of what we were expecting and hoping. Um, And he said, what I'd like you to do, though, is go to the transplant center and talk to them at St. Joe's, Dr. Ruzik, and talk about the possibility of you being a candidate for a second transplant. Okay, you know, we'll go talk to him, And, and that's what we did. We set an appointment. And that was for, like, I think on a Wednesday. And uh, we were going away that weekend prior to that. And my nephrologist said, just drink a lot of water while you're gone and go have a good time and we'll see when you get back. So we did. We went away. I drank a lot of water. Uh, came home, went to my appointment on Wednesday. And uh, Dr. and we discussed, you know, what a candidate needs to medical condition did, need to be in. And I felt I was fairly healthy. But at that point in time, it never even came across our mind that the possibility existed that I may not be a candidate for a second transplant. And that was really kind of scary, and kind of a reality check at that point in time. So we go home, you know, after talking to Dr. Ruzik's that night, and um, I was at um, Kathleen's office the next day, and I was meeting with Glenn Mitsuki, you no Glenn, at One Legacy. You know, we're having lunch, and I stood up and I said, you know, Glenn, I don't feel very well. I feel a little dizzy. And I always take my blood pressure all the time. Uh, Most transplant patients should. In fact, most dialysis patients should always monitor your blood pressure. So, and I've been very religious about taking my blood pressure almost every day for the last 14 years. And Kathleen happened to have my blood pressure kit in her office, and I took it, and I was like 210 over 110, Mm -hmm. um, very high. So I called my nephrologist, and, and he said, okay, Craig, I want you to go home. Lay on the couch, take a clonidine and see if we can get this to come down. Call me in an hour. So I did. And it hadn't budged. And he said, you know what? We can go back and forth all day on this. Let's get you in the hospital. So they admitted me in the ER, uh, did my blood work. My creatinine now was in the three. You know, all within a week, Lori. Wow. Within four days, I was back on dialysis. My creatinine was almost seven. The kidneys shut down really, really fast, and they have no idea why.
2: So you had your transplant for 14 years, and then the reoccurring illness of IgA nephropathy. Is that how it's called? I can't say the word. IgA nephropathy reoccurred in the kidney. And so, I I mean, that must have just, you know, when you heard the news that your creatinine was starting to rise and your blood pressure was getting higher. And I can't even imagine Kathleen, I mean, I'm sure you thought, well, there's a solution for this. I can fix this, right? (laughs) What can I do? I can just feed him low-sodium food or, you know, make sure he never eats a a piece of salt again. Um, But... I can't even imagine, well, I can't imagine, actually, because my kidney of 20 years started to putter out, and I was then, you know, transplanted again in 2011. But as a family, I mean, did you, you guys have dedicated your life to raising awareness for organ donation. You run an incredible walk that is, I I can't even imagine how many thousands of people show up every year at your Donate Life Run Walk. You're educated about organ donation, and was it, the first thought was just to get another transplant, or? were, because of the reoccurring illness, that was not a possibility.
1: You know, once we talked to Dr. Ruzdik, he said, you know, more than likely I'm a candidate, but I still have to go through all the testing for a second transplant. And it was kind of funny, Lori, we in our, I'm in the hospital room, my sons and are sitting on the bed. He said, and he was like, no big deal, dad, you know, so what, your mom's kidney, you know, I like, I like your word, putter, is puttering out, no big deal, I'll give you a kidney. It was almost so nonchalant, like no big deal. You know, we know more. We know better. that There's a lot involved with that. But a second transplant, I felt, was always an option, always.
2: So is Justin in the room?
3: Yeah.
2: So Justin, tell us about, you know, do you remember your comment when you were nine years old saying, well, I wanted to give you a kidney, Dad?
3: No, but they showed me the piece of paper where they, like, signed and notarized it and everything. (laughs) So.
2: (laughs) So tell us about, you know, you obviously were educated on organ donation. So what was your initial thought when you knew your dad needed a kidney?
3: Well, I mean that was uh, that was in like late August, and I remember you know when he was in the hospital for those like for for that four day stretch, and uh, when he started dialysis, once he got out of the hospital, we went and saw Doctor Ruzick, his transplant surgeon, and you know he that's when Doctor Ruzick kind of laid it flat out there and said that you will need to have a kidney transplant at some at some point, and uh, I just remember sitting in the room thinking, well that's it's easy fix, you know I mean I think the that's kind of just my nature is I find a problem and I fix it. And that's exactly what I had the power to do was to fix it. It was never a second thought or, or anything like that. No, You know, whether I had to strap him down to the table myself or not, I would do it. And, <laughs> you know, he'd have to take the kidney no matter what.
2: Now, how old are you, Justin?
3: 24.
2: 24. And now what did your friends think about this?
3: Um, I kind of got mixed reactions. Some of them didn't even you know, didn't really realize, I think just the magnitude of what I was going to do until it happened, you know, until they saw me, you know, out of surgery or came and visited me in the hospital. And then, you know, others just thought it was the the coolest thing that anybody could ever do. And, you know, such a great opportunity and, you know, told like, I, I had some of my friends tell me that I was their hero, you know, and, and I think, um, and as, and as grateful as I am that they say those things, I mean, I, I just make sure I reaffirm to each and every one of them that they are just as able to do something like this as I am. And, you know, I'm I'm no different than one person. And anybody who feels compelled to do this can do it. I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, whether that comes across your life plan or, or not. you
2: know. Now, I want to know when you had the surgery and what was your recovery like?
3: Uh, it was Pretty darn easy. I mean, I was out of the hospital within one day, you know, I came out, we had the surgery at like five in the morning and I was in the hospital room by like three o'clock in the afternoon and I was going home the next day about one o'clock and, uh, cause they do it all laparoscopic now. Um, so, I mean, my recovery was, was pretty easy And about, in about a week and a half, I felt pretty much, you know, back to normal was just like, just kind of sitting around the house and things like that. I felt back to normal and, um, I got the better end of the deal, that's for sure.
2: Now did they hire you a chef? That's what I want to know. <laughs>
3: no, they yeah. didn't. And that's, you know, I mean, that that's kind of the sucky thing when you go, you know, the second time go around, you don't get all the good stuff, but He
2: had to have Chef Mom. Yeah, <laughs> Chef Mom. <laughs> chef, mom chef Mom. And Craig, what was the second transplant? Was it pretty smooth like the first one?
1: Yeah, I think so. It was I was more aware of everything that was going on, you know, because of all the education I've obtained over the last 14 years, so I knew more. It wasn't going into it a little bit naive, you know, so I think it made me more aware of everything. I was, um, I think it was pretty easy, actually, in recovery. And what's
2: your creatinine now?
1: Uh, Last time, it was 1.03. Isn't
2: that a wonderful thing? And Kathleen, I guess, you know, here you are, the one that started it, like, I'm going to give you a kidney. Let's get this family affair going. And what were your thoughts? Your son and your husband were in surgery at the same time. And I imagine you think, I wish I was in surgery, not my son. But, you know, you only have two kidneys.
0: This time just seems so much harder than last time as far as coping with everything mentally for me, getting through everything. And um, one of my really good friends said, Kathleen, the reason you're having such a hard time is last time you were able to save your husband's life, now you're helpless. Right. And you have to, you know, you have to rely on somebody else until Justin came forward. So, um, I think the biggest hurdle was because of complications, Justin was at UCLA and Craig was at, at St. Joe's. So it, for me, it was, where do I go and who do I spend my time with? And so everything, you know, the stars aligned. It was an incredible day. It was when the emotions were there. We let him out. Um, we went with Justin to the hospital in the morning. Um, I got to see him go into surgery. And then I had the privilege of seeing his kidney come out in a box. Um, And I was able to kiss the box before it went in the courier. Um, Then once I knew he was okay, I was actually able to follow the courier to St. Joe's and kiss it again before they took it in the OR. And then I got to go see Craig before he went into surgery. Um, So it was, it's still a surreal day. I think, I don't even think it's all set in yet. Um, I think one of my happiest moments was once Craig was, they called and said Craig was out and the kidney was working we FaceTimed Justin, and that kind of helped us get through everything because we were all able to FaceTime each other. Um, we Facetime Justin. He was still a little groggy. He was still kind of out of it, and watching his face when we told him the relief on his face when he saw that the kidney was in and it was working, I think that was, that was my highlight is, for Justin to have that moment where he knew everything worked and everything was going to be good.
2: Now, it's unusual that when you're having a living donation that a, a kidney is transplanted at one hospital and the kidney is removed at a different hospital, which are about an hour, hour and a half apart. Um, is that common or was it just because of surgery schedules or a physicians available?
3: It's actually kind of common to do something like that. Um, in our case, it was just because uh, the surgeon who was supposed to operate on me down at St. Joseph's actually had uh, some type of emergency medical condition and needed to have surgery himself. So he was going to be out for six to 12 weeks. And, um, you know, I, for me and, and what my schedule was like with school and everything, and just, you know, seeing my dad have to do the fight every day, and, you know, you could start to see it wear on him. I, you know, I thought that it's, it's not worth it to wait that long. So, you know, we kind of pushed. Dr. Ruziks to figure out another alternative so that we can still do it on the time schedule that we wanted. And, you know, that was a solution that they came up with.
2: I know that I had uh, originally had a transplant um, in December. It was scheduled for December and then it was pushed back till February. And that was the longest 10 weeks of my life. <laughs> you know because you just like want to get it over with like let's just get move on to the next chapter cause, so I can certainly understand that
3: yeah ours was actually canceled twice before
2: oh my goodness isn't that it's just like getting a false alarm for a kidney and you get to the hospital and you think you're going to get the deceased donor kidney and then it's like you know it's just it it plays havoc with your emotions that's for sure
3: yeah we were just kind of left with what's next every time
2: So tell us a little bit about, you know, you guys basically have dedicated your life to raising awareness of organ donation. You're a walking billboard for living donation. Can you tell us a little bit about your walk that you have every year in Fullerton?
1: Well, you know, Lori, when I left dialysis for the first time, it was hard, you know, because you're there for so long. Anybody that's on dialysis knows this. They become your second family. And you get to know the other patients that are sitting around you. And I, I always remember going in one time, you know, I got in there early one morning and there was a little eight-year-old girl sitting in my chair and I had no idea kids had to go through this. It was heartbreaking. I remember calling Kathleen on the phone saying, wow, I can't go through this. I mean, I, just, I was really distraught. And then we had a good friend of ours um, who didn't qualify for a transplant because he had diabetes and it had taken you know, his limbs, his legs. And he was in pretty bad shape and involved, but he was just depressed and he ended up passing away. But then you have the other patients that are healthy, that are somewhat healthy in dialysis, you know, and, and doing their best and keeping their spirits up. And we didn't know much about transplants at all, Kathleen and I. So when when we received the transplant, we, we felt that God gave us this for a reason, that we're supposed to do something with our experience. And it took a while, you know, a few years, uh, but we tried to volunteer for numerous organizations. and They didn't have a lot of events for us to do. And so we started looking on the internet, and I noticed that um, there were a lot of walks you know, that were around the country for a kidney disease, and there was nothing in Southern California. In fact, I don't think there was anything in California at the time. And I remember talking to certain organizations, asking them, why don't you do these events? And the response I got was kind of cold, and I thought, okay, well, you know, that's pretty sad. But eventually, they finally had a walk um, that they had put on, and it was north of L.A., and we thought, oh, we couldn't wait to go. You know, I mean, wow, we finally get to give back and try and help those people that are still on dialysis, giving them hope. You know, what can we do? Because education was very sparse. There wasn't much. You could find out about kidney disease, how do you take care of yourself? Now That's why your program is fantastic, because this stuff wasn't around. And um, so we go to this walk. It was 110 degrees outside. It's promoted to dialysis patients and kidney transplant recipients, and, and, and that was it. They have a banana walking around. Well, you can't eat bananas when you're on dialysis. Uh, They had chili. You can't eat chili when you're on dialysis, and it was not really something we felt really connected to. So Kathleen and I got on the freeway, the 101 freeway here in Southern California, driving home, and we both looked at each other at the exact same time and said, you know, we can do a better job. So we started brainstorming. Kathleen was a fourth-grade teacher at the time, and uh, she had the summers off, and we had rented a beach house down here in Newport Beach, and I would commute to work and come home, and every afternoon I'd come home, she's facing the beautiful Pacific Ocean, with her cell phone up to her ear, I asked her, "What are you doing?" "I'm planning our walk. We're going to do a walk, and we're going to do it. And we're going to start raise money. We're going to get educational information out to the dialysis centers. We're going to figure out something because we felt that's our home, that's our roots. We have a responsibility to give those people hope." So um, that was the birth of the Southern California Donut Run Walk. Our first year was in 2003, and we had about 1,500 participants. Um, it was a wonderful event, I mean a lot of patients came out, a lot of people came out. We were able to show these dialysis patients, people that are on dialysis doing just fine. You know, Showing them people that have a transplant, look like at the miracle of a transplantation, there is hope. Just keep yourself healthy, do the best you can, you never know when your number is going to come up. So we, were, we felt we were doing our part trying to give a little bit of hope out there. Um, so it, it was something we promoted heavily in the dialysis centers. Fast forward a couple of years, Catherine um, and I met a donor family, and we felt, wow, you know, this walk has to be about all transplants, not just kidney transplants. So we started promoting, and everybody kept telling us, why well, aren't you working with, you know, the Oregon Procurement Organization for Southern California? Um, we didn't know who they were. Um, so we had connected with them and realized, you know what, this is much bigger than us. This is much bigger than a kidney transplant. Uh, There's a lot of people affected out there by transplants. What can we do to get this word out there, get the public to know? Because you know, Lori, not enough people say yes.
2: Right. Organ donation, you know, just people being aware to sign up to be a deceased donor. You know, they think they're going to go to the emergency room and they're not going to save them. And there's so many misconceptions about organ donation. So today, how many people are at your walk? Because this thing is enormous.
1: Well, last year we had a little over eleven thousand, and it is now it is the largest gathering in the country to promote organ and tissue donation.
2: Wow, you guys should be so proud of yourself. Basically, you know, you took your adversity, turned it into helping others, which is ultimately the best way to be happy is to help others, and that's what I've learned. Um, Well, we're gonna wrap this up, but. you know, Kathleen, Justin, I mean, I wanted to know, do you have anything in common? Or uh, my question is for Craig. Do you have any traits that you were know, Kathleen's or Justin's, like they all say, you know, oh, now, uh, do you leave the toilet seat down for sure because you have a female kidney?
1: <laughs> there is something. I believe there's something there. Don't know what it is. But Kathleen would say I'd get moody about every 28 days. You know?
0: And we confirm that on the calendar. He has a period every 28 days. <laughs>
1: and, and then Justin's a great golfer, mm-hmm. and I've been struggling with my golf, and I went to a golf tournament maybe three or four weeks ago, probably one of the best games I ever had, so I think I got his golf swing.
2: Oh, that's wonderful.
1: I'm, I'm still waiting to argue with myself in the mirror, but that hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but I'm waiting.
0: And, so. and the funny thing, when they were recovering, Lori, they would both be sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden – They'd both get up at the same time and go in the bathroom.
2: Oh, the kidneys in sync, huh? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and then
0: Justin has a habit. Justin doesn't, I never hear him singing songs. I always hear him whistling songs. So every day when I was driving Craig to labs, I noticed he was whistling all the time. He'd wake up in the morning, he was whistling in the afternoon on the way to labs. And it finally clicked with me that, oh, he picked up Justin's whistling.
2: Oh, that's amazing. Well, I wish all of you much success. I look forward to seeing you guys and look forward to you know hearing all about your walk and the success and the hope that you bring to the community. So thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Lori. And you know what? Big applause to you for everything that you do.
2: You're amazing, Lori.